majesty, we're filled with awe and wonder of your glory. So we just give it all to you. You deserve it all, so we give it all to you. Thank you for being so amazing and for loving us so much, giving us life undeserved. Praise God. Praise you. Would you use your word to make us more like Christ? Stir us with affections for you. Do what you want in this gathering. Your will, not our will, yours, King Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Would you remain standing for the reading of the word? Today's reading is the parable of the talents from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. When I'm done reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you agree with that, I ask that you respond by saying, thanks be to God. Starting in verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to their ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also had the one who, who he gave the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. Eli, thank you for doing that. Eli is uh, obviously one of our graduating seniors today. And, uh, and students, just really quickly, I, um, I gave a kind of a generic sending there piece, but... Um, but Emily and Bailey and Zoe, Zachary, Eli, we lost maybe a couple of other ones. I don't know where Addie's at. And um, we have uh, a couple of, that are not here today, Reed Thompson um, and uh, Malachi uh, Schrodel. I think he's not here as well. And so um, just wanted to acknowledge all of them and who are with us today. Thank you guys for being here. All right, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to the parable here, Matthew 25, that Eli had just read to us. As I was reading this week, I asked myself the question, which I'll ask you this morning, what is 
the secret to success. This week, I, I, I Googled the secret to success, which I don't recommend. If you're looking for right answers on questions like this, don't do that. I was actually Googling for wrong answers. And so, uh, but I did that this week and there were a lot of different perspectives on what the secret to success is. Obviously, you would, you would understand that. Some, some people say that the secret to success is celebrityism. Uh, becoming an, a celebrity, a famous celebrity, or even an athlete, uh, performing at sold-out concerts, or hosting up MVP trophies. I would say that's the secret to success. Others would say the secret to success is in materialism. Having a six-figure salary, uh, 401k, uh, man, getting your, your dream houses and your dream spouses and, um, man, dream uh, families with, you know, these, these, these beautiful pictures of these homes that you have with these pools and possessions and, and long vacations, tropical places, and just kind of cruising into the golden years of retirement. That, some people say that's what success is. Others would say uh, success is in self-determinism. If you can dream it, you can do it. Believe in yourself. Love yourself. Be true to yourself. And if you do, you can change the world. It's a typical graduation speech, by the way. I hope you all aren't preaching any of that, by the way. (laughs) Don't do that. Others say that uh, success is, is, is conservatism. Today, man, if I can just avoid the far left insane liberalism, if I could just move to the South and I could just be safe down there and just get away from those crazies and, and just be far right and live this good, moral, conservative life, that is the definition of success. Others believe the secret to success is more in religious realms, a little bit more detailed, like believing in God, getting saved, going to church, raising their children in church, having good doctrine, good theology, getting, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, um, uh, just kind of... Again, avoiding big sins. Like my goal is success. If I can just avoid big sins and if I can just play it safe and avoid the wicked world all the way to heaven, some people would describe success that way. There are obviously a lot of different perspectives on what the secret to success is, but the only perspective that matters is the master's perspective. The only perspective that matters is Jesus' perspective. And so today, as we continue in our series, Kingdom Secrets here, we're going to see from Jesus, our great master, he's going to show us the secret to success. The secret to success in the parable of the talents, of course. Now, Uh, In context, where this is in scripture, this is the third consecutive 
parable that Jesus is referring to eschatology. That's a big word for end times. The time that Jesus is going to return and he will reward the faithful and he will judge those who've rejected his son Jesus as Lord. And so he's talking about end times. And what he just did right in the beginning of chapter 25, he just told the parable of the 10 virgins. And he says, watch, be ready, be vigilant. I'm coming back. That's what he just told. And now here in the parable of the talents, he says, be diligent, work hard. Because I'm coming back and you will have to give an account for what you have done with your lives. Really, the principle he's trying to communicate here is understanding what happens in the end times should change and determine what we do with the mean times. Now, this parable of the talents we're going to look at today has four characters. Four characters. It's got a master And this master is wealthy. Master, we have three servants. Three servants. And this master was obviously very, very wealthy. And he's going away on a very long journey. Uh, He wouldn't be returning for a long time, but he was coming back. And so what he did was he entrusted his servants to all of his assets and he gave them uh, the, the things of his, his ownership for them to steward. This is the biblical concept of stewardship, by the way, where a steward manages the assets of someone else. So the master called in the servants, and he gave them all talents. He gave them all talents, and he gave them different Talents. He gave the one five talents. He gave the other servant two talents. And he gave the other one just one talent. Now, when we use the word talent in the English language, of course, it typically refers to natural abilities, right? We talk about people who have great talent. We talk about Steph Curry. We talk about Derrick Henry. We talk about uh, Chris Stapleton. I love that dude. He's got, these guys have talent, right? But that's not what Jesus is referring to when he uses the word talent. In the New Testament, when we see the word talent, it's not about natural abilities. And we know that to be true is because in verse 15, he says there that they were given talents based upon already existing abilities. So talent is not natural ability. What is a talent then? Talent here in the text is a measurement of weight that there would be given here, uh, I think it was about 75 pounds, the measurement of weight, and it was used to show the value of something precious like gold or silver or bronze. And so one single talent at 75 pounds would have been something worth a lot, a lot, a lot of money without doing a, a ton of work in translating uh, the value of a talent. Uh, let me see if I can uh, translate that to today's uh, measurement. Uh, in today's market, uh, this would have been to the first servant. 
the five-talent servant, he would have given him $11.25 million. To the second servant, he would have given them about $4.5 million. And to the third servant, this would have been about $2.25 million. Clearly, this master is infinitely wealthy. Can we agree upon that, right? And so he gives them all of these things. Now, he gives them differing amounts, but he's given all of them much, right? And so the picture is the master comes in, sees servant number one, visionary, great leader. This guy can, can do a lot of things. I'm giving him five talents. Second guy comes in, master says, well, you know what? He's a behind the scenes guy. He's, he's detailed, he's dependable, and I can count on him. Uh, and so let me just give him two talents. The third servant comes in, he's two hours late. His alarm clock didn't go off. He's got sleep lines all over his face. And he comes to the master. Master's like, uh, hey, man, you get one talent. You need to be really happy with that, right? And go on and take off. So he dismisses them out. And as soon as they receive the cash, the, the, the master's money, the first servant takes it and doubles the king's assets, he doubles it. He turns 11 million into 22 million. Second service, who received two talents, he takes his 4.5 million and turned it into 9 million. The third servant, he did nothing with the money that was entrusted to him. He didn't even put it in the bank to collect 2%. He just buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. Finally, the master comes home. He begins to call them into account for what they had done with his stuff and calls in the first two servants to give an account. They first reported they had doubled their talents. First and the second. Master, we've, we've doubled the efforts. And he responds to these two servants, really, in the same kind of way. He says in verse, I believe it's 20 maybe in here. Here we go. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The third servant looked at the master and says, Master, I know you were a hard man. I was afraid of you because I know that you reap where you don't sow and gather where you haven't planted. In other words, the third servant said, I don't want to tick you off, God. I know you were a hard man to please. I didn't lose anything. I didn't get anything, but I didn't lose anything either, master. I just... Buried it in the ground. I think what's important to note here is this servant was not the prodigal son who wasted everything on reckless living. The servant's not, he, he's not a drunkard. He's not sexually immoral. He just did nothing. 
to his ruin. Master responds to him. Rather than being happy with no loss, the master looks at the servant and he said, you wicked and lazy servant. You think I'm a hard man, but you still did nothing with it. You did not even put it in the bank to collect 2%. He ordered that man's talent. He's taken away his talent. He gives it to the man with 10 talents. He says, the, more who, the one who has talent, the more will be given. And the one who has nothing, it'll be taken away from him. And worst of all, most sobering of all, he pronounces judgment on the wicked servant, dismisses him away to outer darkness, the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What was the difference between five-talent guy, two-talent guy over here, and then one-talent guy? What's the difference? I mean, are these guys just more disciplined, type A, rule followers. Is that the, and this guy's just lazy and he's slothful. Is that, the, is that really the difference that we see here? I don't think it is. I think the biggest difference between five and two talent servant and the one talent guy was how they viewed the master. You see, the first two servants saw the master as Someone that they loved to serve. He was a good master. They made it their goal and their aim to please their master. He increased their joy. They weren't doing it out of fear of gnashing of teeth and being cast into outer darkness. They did it out of the joy. That's, what, that's the way they saw their master. But the wicked servant saw the master as a pharaoh type. He was a ruthless master, crushing the spirit, oppressive, unreasonable, hard to please, and he just did nothing with the stuff. Now remember, Jesus taught in parables. And we've said this on repeat He taught in parables to conceal the truth, the lesson from the unbeliever, but he taught the parable to reveal the truth to the believer. What is the secret that Jesus is revealing to us today, those who know him? He's revealing the secret to success. The secret to success is not in what you achieve or who you are or what you have. The secret to success is what you do with what you have in Christ. The secret to success in one word could be described as faithfulness. Faithfulness equals success. So I wanna show you a couple of things here again, about what Jesus is revealing here. I think the first thing that I see here is that the faithful labor, the faithful labor. You know, this this parable, for those who have ears, let them hear, this parable is really not about a master going away on a long journey. This parable 
is about our master, Jesus Christ, who, after his crucifixion and his resurrection, went away, ascended to the Father, and he is coming back. But until then, he, wealthy beyond our imagination, has entrusted to us his servants, his stuff, stewardship. He's entrusted us with talents. Talents are anything that is given and used to glorify God. Talent would be something along the lines of a spiritual gift, knowledge, wisdom, abilities, opportunities, health, time, money, possessions, our salvation, the gospel. It could go on and on. All of these things are called talents to use for the king and his kingdom to bring him glory. This is called stewardship in the Bible. Look at First Peter's words here. Peter said this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is, again, called biblical stewardship. But I believe that stewardship begins with ownership, meaning before we can actually practice stewardship, we have to come to the agreement with God that he owns it all. We have to agree with God that the Christian is an actually an owner of nothing, but a steward of everything. Everything that we have is on loan from God. And Christians who understand biblical stewardship, they agree with God, and what they do, the faithful, they labor for the king. They labor for his kingdom. They take all of those things that we just mentioned and they use it for the glory of their master, the faithful labor. And so this is a space where I wanted to today to encourage the faithful who labor here at this church. You acknowledge that everything that you have is God-given. And every time you use the gift for the master, you bring him glory. I see this happening in many ways. Every time that you open up your home, the home that God has given you, and you invite people to your home, either for some kind of a group, a Bible study, a meal with another Christian family, or a lost neighbor to share the gospel with them. Every time that you do that, you are being a faithful laborer. Every time that you 
share a Bible story with your children. God has given you the knowledge of some kind of scriptural uh, story about Jesus Christ and you share it with your children. You are being a faithful laborer. Every time that you meet with your group, if you're a leader in some kind of capacity and you're either Sunday mornings and you're down there sitting with little children telling them a Bible study, you're being a faithful laborer. Every, every Sunday, Lord's Day gathering, when you come in and you shake a hand and you're on the hospitality team, you're shaking that hand in the name of the Lord. Every button you push up in that booth is faithful labor in the name of the Lord. Every, every time the, our band and our, our singers get up and they sing, they're using their gifts for the glory of the master and his kingdom. Every, every tithe that you give, you acknowledge God gave you 100% of what you have and you give him 10% back. Every time that you do that, you're acknowledging the master owns it all. The faithful labor. Every dollar that you give to a Christian friend, who's in need, that you give to missions or give to a ministry. So many of you do that every single week here and you're not hoarding the things that God has given you. I thank you for your labor here at this church. There's so many here, y'all. I mean, there's people right now, listen, listen you get some parents in the room right now, there's faithful people laboring to watch your children right now, to hold your babies while you get to do this. Be thankful for them. This church is full of people who are faithfully laboring for the master. But if you look at the text, Matthew spends a good ink here talking about the faithless servant. In fact, he really talks about the faithless servant more than he does the faithful, doesn't he? If you look at the text... So if he addressed it, then we must address this faithless servant as well. The faithless servant represents the Christians who conceptually say, yes, God gave me all those things, my talents, my gifts, opportunities, skills, money. Those who, those who agree with God on those things conceptually, but... They instead bury them in the ground. They either use all of those things to build their own kingdom or they just don't do anything for the kingdom. They do nothing. Jesus is warning all of us about a do-nothing Christianity. A do-nothing Christianity. It's a deceptive type of evil. It's a kind of evil that doesn't feel like evil. It's a kind of deception where a Christian doesn't necessarily do bad things. They just don't do anything. And that's far, far worse. The servant 
this wicked servant. Here's kind of that person. If we were to personify this person, they like to play Christianity safe. They want to live their life in such a way that doesn't really tick God off. Like they don't want to do that. They just want to survive and get to heaven. They're the kind of person that, hey, I just want to have my nice little family. And we're going to live in a gated community. Got to protect ourselves. We're going to helicopter over the kids, put a lot of sunscreen helmets on them. We, we don't want to get out there. It's a little dangerous out there. We just want to play it safe. Got an awesome house, but man, I don't, we're not going to invite anybody over. We'll just take some pictures and post them on Instagram. But no one's going to come over to our house. That's a little bit risky. Man, I just, we're just going to walk through this Christian life here. And I'm just going to read my Bibles, go, go to church, go to some Bible studies. Again, agree with people who believe as we believe. Occasionally, occasionally we'll do something at the church and serve or give a little bit of money because I feel guilty if I don't. But I'm not going to do anything that really costs me. Anything that's going to cost me a lot of time, a lot of money, my comfort, my vacations. Like, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to do enough to not tick God off. I don't want to share my faith with anybody. I mean... I'm good. I'm going to heaven. My kids are good. They're going to heaven. I'm just going to privatize the gospel and share it with anybody. I don't want to do that. That might cause a fight or disagreement. That's offensive and really to each his own. That's kind of how this person plays it. It's a, it's a do-nothing Christianity, and it is a deceptive type of evil. Church, hear the warning from Jesus Christ today. Warning against a do-nothing, play-it-safe Christianity. All servants who do those things are like the slothful servant burying God's stuff in the ground. He's lent them much and they do nothing with it. They just do nothing. Beware of a do-nothing Christianity because the faithful, the true believers, they labor. They labor. The second thing that I see here in this text is that the faithful are rewarded. They're rewarded. One day, of course, Jesus, our master, is going to return. It could be tonight. It could be 10,000 years. But he is coming back. He's been away. And he will be returning. And all of us, every human will stand before the master and be judged We will have to all give an account of what we did with God's stuff. Now, the judgment will be different for the faithful and the faithless, of course. The faithful who have used all of the things that God has given them will hear the words in verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy 
of your master. Notice the master doesn't say, well, you just saved yourself from outer darkness. Man, I I could have put you to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You just survived. That's not what the master says. Could he have done that with all of us here? The answer, of course, is yes. But that's not primarily how Jesus wants us to serve him, not out of a fear of outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, but a serve, a service of him out of joy. When he says, serve me, use my, he's inviting you and me into joy. And oftentimes we know that joy follows obedience. Joy follows obedience. In your life, that's a great principle. Joy follows obedience. Not just that you escape death and hell, but you get joy when you follow the master, Jesus. The master just commends them. He rewards them with more. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. You know, a lot of times we may have this misconception of the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns that everyone's just going to be sitting around on a cloud all day, napping, playing golf, whatever. It's not the case. He's given us, he's given us more in the new heavens and the new earth. There's going to be more work. It's going to be very joy-filled. It won't be hard. But there's a lot of work in the new heavens and the new earth. It's very much more similar to our earth today than what we actually think. But this is a reward. Those who are faithful with a little on earth will be given much in the new heavens and the new earth. Another space, again, to encourage the faithful who are laboring here. Listen, it's hard. It is hard to labor and be faithful over and over again with the Lord's stuff and his people. It's hard. Every time you meet with your group, have a confrontation, serving on Sunday mornings in the gathering and waking up extra early and putting out your time and your effort, every dollar that you give. All these things are, of course, we know they're costly. Every time that you sit with children down in the kids' building or holding a baby over here, man, yeah, they cry sometimes. They, they, they have wiggles sometimes. They don't always listen. Serving student ministry, yeah, sometimes they're on their phones. Sometimes they're not paying a lick of attention to you. But be encouraged and know that everything that you do in the name of the Lord is ultimately serving Jesus Christ and not other people. And that one day the master will speak to you personally and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And it'll be worth it all. Don't lose heart. Endure. Stay true to the very, very end believer, faithful who are laboring. But again, the faithless will stand before the master, and they will hear the haunting words. They don't hear well done. They hear wicked, 
servant. This is the depart from me. I never knew you. Casting you into outer darkness, the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to hear a lot of sermons anymore about weeping and gnashing of teeth because, of course, hell is offensive to many people. But the reality is Jesus talked a lot about it. These terms here, just personify this for just a moment. The person who wakes up in hell, some are going to be weepers. They'll weep and they'll sob uncontrollably. And their weeping never, ever stops. Crying uncontrollably, inconsolably, forever and eternity, weeping. There won't be a drop of water to cool their tongue from the anguish of the flame. There will be weepers. These people will be deceived. They think their whole life they were Christians and they live this safe life. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. In hell, there will be weepers, but there's also going to be gnashers. Gnashers. That symbolically means there's going to be people gritting their teeth and shaking their fist in fury at God. I dare you, God, that you would put me here. Do you know what I've done for you? And their anger will never cease forever and ever and ever. And they will never find peace. There will be weepers and there will be gnashers condemned forever. It's sobering stuff. Again, what is, what is the difference again? What is the difference between the faithful And the faithless in this text, it's how they see Jesus. It's how they see Jesus. The faithful see Jesus as one who came to give life, not to steal it. They love, he's such a good master, man. He always takes care of me. Yeah, he tells me some things to stay away from that are very dangerous, But every good command from the master is is meant to secure my greater good. I love the master. He's not oppressing me. He's inviting me into joy. I want to serve this master. While the faithless see Jesus as an oppressive Pharaoh-like master. He's hard to please. He, He calls me to too much. I don't want to give everything to him. I want to give him a little, but golly, he's calling me to too much. I'll never please him. I'm just going to bury my stuff and do nothing. The difference between the two is how they see Jesus, the master. If I had one paragraph to summarize everything that we say, I have said today, it's this. The purpose of this parable is to get us all to examine ourselves today. 
every person in the room to examine ourselves with what we are doing with God, with what God has given us in Christ. And the faithful will labor and the faithful will be rewarded while the faithless are lazy they do nothing to glorify god and they will ultimately face condemnation that's the summary of the prayer as we set up i want to set up some time of of not just reflection but really of action and so the first thing i would say this I want to be really, really clear. Don't know who all is in the room here, but I want to be really, really clear. This parable does not teach that salvation is earned or kept by hard labor and stewarding God's things. Are we clear on that? Salvation is not through our labor and good stewardship. The point of this parable is to show that the truly redeemed who have trusted in Christ by grace through faith, they will labor. And the fact that they labor and stewards God's gifts, it gives evidence that they are actually saved. It's not that they lose their salvation. They never had it to begin with. Over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us that we are justified that we are saved by what the master has done on our behalf. And this is the key to everything is how you see the master. This master loved you so much that this master stepped off of the throne of heaven, came down to earth, and then this master lived a perfect life that you and I can't live. He stewarded all the good gifts from the Father. He was perfectly obedient 100% of his life. And when the master was done with that, the master went to the cross. On the cross, the master is being punished as if he lived your life. At the very same time, for those who believe in Jesus, we are being treated as if we lived his life. On the cross, he has given us salvation, forgiveness of sins, all past, present, future. He's given us credit for his life. He's given us eternal security forever and ever, an imperishable inheritance. He's, the master has given us victory over death, a hope, a future forever and ever. That is what the master has done for us, for all who just believe in Jesus. Have you ever trusted in the master who is Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you rejected salvation by your works? You see, you can't, you don't inherit the kingdom of God and you don't get the master until you reject the ability to save self. 
Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ today? We're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And the hope is for the Christian that you would see that, that you would acknowledge that, and you would be so in love with Jesus, you just can't help but labor and steward everything he's given you. That is the lesson. So the question that I have to pose to you for reflection and then hopefully action here in just a moment, what has God entrusted you with and are you using it for self-preservation, self-satisfaction, or kingdom multiplication? What are you doing with the money that God has given you? What are you doing with the money God has given you? Do you use it to build God's kingdom by tithing, by giving to a missionary, by giving to a ministry, by giving to a Christian brother or sister who is in need? Or do you use your money to build your kingdom? To build your paradise on earth. Bank statements don't lie. We think about this. If if Solomon, you think about Solomon for just a moment, the most wealthiest man ever, right? If he was deceived by riches, and if he was distracted by kingdom multiplication because he loves stuff. How much more do you and I need to be on guard against that? What are you doing with the money that God has given you? What are you doing with the house that God has given you? Are you opening up your home? Are you inviting Christian families over for lunch after church on Sunday? Monday nights, come over. Don't know you. I'd love to get to know you. Are you inviting people in your home to have Bible studies, to have D group, to have life group, your neighbor next door? Are you using your house for God's kingdom or is it your personal castle, your personal sanctuary, your getaway that you love to have for yourself? What are you doing with the gifts, abilities, and skills that God has given you? Every single Christian has a talent, has a gift, has a spiritual gifting that God has given you specifically for the edification of the church. What are you doing with that gift? Some of you are teachers. You know why God gave you the gift of teaching? It wasn't to teach one plus one equals two in the public school systems. I'm not against those things. Hear me. You need to do those things. But the primary purpose of him giving you the gift of teaching is to teach the kingdom of God to the church. That's why he gave you the gift. Teachers, step up and use your gifts for the kingdom. Some of you are really, really good at building things with your hands, and you've got skills, construction. Man, are you just doing it to climb the corporate ladder, own your own business? 
Or, or could you use that gift to maybe go down to weary housing and help them construct their buildings that are falling apart or go across to Brazil, a team over there working in the favelas? What are you doing with, what are you doing with your gift of kids? Some of you just love kids. You're good with kids. What are you doing with that? You're holding babies down here while moms and dads worship and sing and teach over in the kids' building? Are you, are you using those gifts for yourself or are you burying your gifts? What are you doing with the time God has given you? What are you doing with your free evenings? What are you doing with your weekends? Or maybe even your vacations. You see, you see, vacations come up, summertime. Some of you need to and do use your vacations to serve at VBS or camp. It happens every year. It's not that those people have more time than, than you. They just choose to use the time for the kingdom of God. And so some of y'all are doing that. And some of you need to do that. Some of you might be uh, young souls trapped in an old body. And you need to serve at camp and you need to serve at VBS. Your body will recover. (laughs) Your soul will be refreshed, but your body, it will recover. And some of you need to use your gifts for the next generation. What are you doing with the body that God gave you? That's, I asked myself that question today. What, do you, what am I doing with the body, the place where the Holy Spirit resides? What am I doing with my body? What are you doing with the kids that God has given you? Your children are gifts from God. What are you doing with them? Are you using your children to shape them, to steward, to aim them at the glory of God, to make much of the name of Jesus? Or are you using them to make much of you? vicariously living through your children. Look how awesome my kids are. Oh, so great. You have just a beautiful family. Praise to you. I'm gonna train them up to be athletes. They're gonna go on to be famous and all. Like, is that why God gave you your children? No. He gave you the gifts of children to make much of him. Him. And perhaps my last question is this. What are you doing with perhaps God's greatest gift to you, your salvation? Your salvation. What are you doing with God's gospel? Paul said in 1 Thessalonians that we Christian servants have been approved and entrusted with God's gospel to speak, not to please men, but to please God. What are you doing with God's gospel? Are you privatizing the gospel that God has given you? Are you hoarding it for yourself? Are you secretizing your faith? Or are you sharing God's gospel generously as you come and as you go? These are all questions, again, they are supposed to prompt reflection, 
But the purpose of these questions is to lead not to reflection, but to action. To action. So put away your, uh, your Bibles, your note-taking in just a moment, and I want to give space for us to respond this morning. The, uh, the deacons, uh, whoever is assigned as a deacon for prayer, w- would you guys kind of go into a place? And so it, I want to do one thing. The first thing I want to ask is, is if, if there's anyone here today that, man, would say, I've blown it. I have tried to save myself through good works and good deeds and my labor my entire life. And today I'm tired. I'm so tired of trying to be good enough, to steward good enough, to be well enough. I'm so tired. I'm ready to throw my life at the feet of Jesus Christ and trust in his labor and not my own. I'm ready to lay down at the feet of the master. So some of you might need to receive Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins today and be saved. While others... I want to give space for you to reflect what are you doing with what God has given you. That's simple. And if you know something right now, you're like, yep, I know it. Here's what he's talking about. I should be doing this. I should be serving. I should be, whatever the case is, here's what I want to tell you. Every time we say yes to a command of God, joy is on the other side. Every time we say, no, I'll get to it later, I'm really busy right now, I'll pray about that and have delayed obedience, things will go bad. It's not hard. And so today, say yes to Jesus. Just say yes to him. And whatever it is he prompts you to do, you can literally, in this space this time, get a blue card out and just check a box. Again, you don't have to go home and pray about, am I supposed to serve the church? Yes, you are. Everybody is. So let the Lord move in you. Listen to him and trust him. Go ahead and bow your heads. We're going to give you space to do that. And uh, and then we'll sing in response to the Lord's word today.
Jesus Christ, you are our great master. And it is our delight to call you master. You're so good to us. Beyond our imagination, you are a good master. Why you would entrust these things to people like us, we will never understand. You didn't have to use us. You don't even need us. But you invite us in to your assets and your kingdom and your glory. Thank you, Father. I pray that you continue to preach to your people today as my sermon is over, that you continue to preach all day, prompting your people to respond. Christ, you're worth it. I pray that we watch and we are ready and that when you return, you find us laboring faithfully in the gospel. Jesus, come back quickly. We are ready for you to return, but we will be patient. For we cannot wait to hear the words from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus' precious name, amen. Sing this chorus as we dismiss.